Here we go. Episode number 67 coming right at you with Panoramic Outdoors. I'm Sheldon Grant. I'll be kind of hosting today's intro, and I also got two gentlemen in different parts of this province because of COVID-19. We are still doing these things remote. So sorry for if there's any uh, kind of audio glitches or whatever uh, throughout the podcast. We apologize in advance, um, but please bear with us. But Chase, what's going on? You're over in uh, St. Andrews? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What are you doing over there? Just shoveling duck shit or what? I was shoveling some duck shit today. I was also uh, uh, butchering up a deer today, which is, uh, you know, a good sign of, of success in the in the fall. And um, yeah, man, just just prepping for uh, COVID Christmas and the upcoming ice fishing season. Yeah, that's coming coming quick. Although we've had some very nice weather for November, that uh, you would think there would be a little bit more ice on the lakes. And uh, I've seen actually a truck go through. I think a lake dolphin and. And guys kind of pushing, or not guys in particular, but fisher people, fisher people, pushing their luck on the ice a little bit. But uh, that's that by Lockport where Tristan's hanging out. Have you seen anybody on the river over there? Oh, yeah. There's folks on the river by the locks, uh, some brave folks. Actually, there was a post circulating on the Internet that some someone was on the uh, ice trunk right by the locks that was loose and in the water still. So like they were like floating on this like iceberg virtually. Like, I don't know who who loves fishing that much, but there are people out there that do. So and man, I, was, I seen that guy today. I I went over the the Lockport Bridge today, and uh, dude was just like you can see this like wandering trail that he went from like I guess half decent ice and followed like the the uh, <clears throat> the reefs there. And eventually made himself right up to the edge of the open water and was like casting into the open water of the of right underneath the locks there. Pretty wild. Yeah. Like I've uh I've I've seen one master angler walleye come out of Lockport in my life. I don't know who loves Sauger that much that they would jump on an iceberg and start casting, but uh hey, I guess they're out there. Yeah, everyone has their thing, I guess. Have you guys done any Christmas shopping yet? Are you guys done? I know things are a little bit different. You can't actually go out and shop doing the online thing, uh, curbside pickup. Have you guys tried any of that yet? I've done a little curbside pickup, but you know what? I'm not even close to done my Christmas shopping here, and I've been putting it off just because it's, uh, it is so different this year. Um, I think there might be a little bit more gift cards in the mix this year than normal i normally i i don't rely on those but you know it's a it's a different year out there and it's uh i'm just hoping that uh get it done and uh enjoy some time with whoever we're allowed to see you know yeah for sure what will you chaser you're just collecting probably nice duck feathers to give to people or what (laughs) yeah yeah i got some nice duck eggs to give out gonna paint them all up real nice uh pretty much same boat man just uh i mean gift cards and some e-transfers probably <laughs> uh, yeah yeah gift cards if anyone's uh, listening to this podcast we have gift cards on our at our store right now so if you're looking to pick up something from our store but don't know sizes or exactly what they want we do have gift cards available and anybody uh, that's purchased through us uh, we've noticed that uh, a lot of people are doing their Christmas shopping um, right now and anybody that's done some Christmas shopping through us, thank you very much. We appreciate that support. The one thing that I've done actually is I 
kind of loaded up on uh, some Cowboys caviar. I think it's going to be a wicked uh, stocking stuffer. So I actually got some uh, extra packages here that I'm going to be throwing in some stockings for um, my nieces and nephews. Um, so I think that's really cool. And Cowboys caviar, they're, they're a big supporter of panoramic outdoors. And if you want to support them, you can go to cowboyscaviar.com. They've got five different flavors of beef jerky, and it's a soft chew jerky, almost like a pepperette in bite-sized pieces. Uh, they got cowboy candy, original, teriyaki, hot and sweet, and then, of course, peppered. Um, it's some of my favorite beef jerkies. We've been eating it uh, out in the tree stands and in the blinds. So if you have um, some time, check out that website. Like I said, www.cowboyscaviar.com or look at your local convenience store because they're all over the place in uh, Western Canada. And the other cool thing that they have is that they have a, a fundraising uh, section on their website where you can actually uh, tag team um, with them, partner up with them, and you can... Um, you know, sell some beef jerky and make a little bit of a little bit of a profit for your group organization. So check them out when you got time. But anyways, moving on. Um, what are we doing here? What's in the water barrel? What's in the food trough? And what's playing on the record player? Ooh, that's a good. That's a good one. That is a really good one. I'm trying to think here. What's been on the grill lately for me? I did a. Uh... A little beef tenderloin that I got from the store, a whole tenderloin that I butchered down, and uh, that turned out really nice. And then uh, on the tap here, I'm actually just enjoying a Moosehead Light, which is uh, slightly not as heavy as the Moosehead regular. Um, so uh, that's been fun. And, and So wait, how many Moosehead Lights have you had that you're just going to go through all three? With us talking about each one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, you know, I thought that's how we did it around here. Is we're just going to uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But, uh, yeah, do it. Finish it up with yeah. what are you listening to, man? I, I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, one of the local uh, music venues in the uh, in Winnipeg there, Times Change, I'm not sure if you folks are familiar with it, you guys are, but they uh, they host a lot of local musicians, and they're putting out a uh, a double disc CD with thirty songs on it. I'm look, looking forward to our good buddy Dale Barber's going to be on that disc, and uh, it's a it's a new way to support local musicians. So if uh, if you're interested, check it out. They uh, they have the Time Change website there, and I think they're actually doing it through eTransfer. So if uh, if you wanted to get in on that, that might be cool. New new content apparently. That's a good way to support your local artists too. So that's that's pretty cool. Chase, what do you got in all three categories here? Let's start with uh, backwards. What are you listening to first? Oh man, December first, buddy. We're rolling into the uh, the holiday season. Old Bing Crosby's on the radio. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, what's on the grill? What's on the grill? Oh man, I was cutting up a deer today, and um, I watched uh, Josh's butchering video on how he disassembles the hind quarter, and and uh, he he made mention the uh, inside or the hey so inside round roast or inside round cut was similar to uh, tenderloin. So I fired up the old grill in the shop there and. Threw some of that and a little, little spice that I carry around with me, and some and some butter, and had that for for lunch today. So, that's my uh, that what's on the grill. And 
As for what's on the tap, man, um, not a whole bunch. Lots of coffee and energy drinks right now. That's about it. Yeah, that time of year, it's pretty busy. And just get your energy up, you know, when you're not playing Mr. Dad and Mr. Farmer. Mr. <laughs> Panoramic, December edition. Well, on my tap, I'll tell you what's not on it. It's, it's Guinness is not on it. I'm trying to choke one down right now, and I do not like it. Um, but I did try some of those Moosehead lights on the weekend there, Tristan, and I actually really enjoyed them. And um, first time trying them, being a big Moosehead fan, it's first time trying them, so maybe uh, maybe I'm not that big of a fan. But yeah, Moosehead lights is on my tap. What's on the grill for me is I made a chili the other night. Number one thing is I'm not a big chili eater, nor have I ever made a chili. But I decided, you know what? I had like this pack of like um, sausage, which was not in a casing. It was like just extras from the from Obermeyer's from last year's stuff. So I'm like, man, this will probably be awesome in a chili. So I made a chili, and I did a couple things. Like I put um, like I used ginger and I used cocoa and cinnamon and sugar. Um, for my for the chili and then i used uh gnocchi i think that's how you say it starts with a g if it was english it would be gnocchi but it's apparently you pronounce it gnocchi and then uh yeah bacon onions and you know your regular beans and stuff and i actually really enjoyed it like i said not a big chili uh eater or maker but i was was really happy with that so i was like a dear chili and um yeah so what's on my jukebox probably gonna be a podcast um, and I'm going to use Missing Curfew because I don't know how to pronounce the original one I was going to say. So Missing Curfew, it's a new hockey podcast. It's been out for about 10 episodes, and it's pretty interesting. they got some pretty good guests. So if you're looking for a good hockey episode, even though hockey's not around, check that out. That's a good handle. I like that handle for, uh, for entertainment platform. Yeah. yeah. So other than that, uh, hunting season's all kind of wrapped up. It's the uh, first week in December. We're getting ready for ice fishing. What else do you guys have going on this uh, winter before Christmas that uh, you would like to speak about in this intro? Man, we're just going to hopefully put the finishing touches on our shack and drag it down to Lockport at some point. So kind of excited about that. That's the first time we're going to have Big Red back on the ice in a number of years. Um, kind of been out of commission just because uh, we tend to hit the lake pretty hard. And sometimes it's just easier to go with the pop-up out there. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to, like, now that I got my new wool gear, I want to see how it's going to perform in the ice season and uh, put it through the test there. And actually, there's a couple things. So, like, not only just to see how it does on the ice and, like, moving from indoor-outdoor scenarios and drilling holes and putting it through, the, you know, the kind of stages there, I think I just might, like, start wearing it around the house as like lounging attire because I, I, I do think it is that comfortable. <laughs> I don't, I can't, I can't remember the last time I've worn a wool garment that's been that comfortable. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're, we're talking about wool love. Uh, again, supporters of the podcast. If you want to see their stuff, check them out at wool.love online. So that's two words, wool.love. And uh, they got everything that you need for your base layer there and to keep you warm and dry through this winter ice fishing season. Uh, if you manage to find yourself some of that, slip it on and guarantee you're going to like it. Yeah, Tristan, and just to add on to your little uh, 
ad read there. I was using it for deer hunting, and this is no word of a lie, and this might sound disgusting to a lot of people, but I wore my like long sleeve wool love shirt, un, uh, long underwear, and socks for six six days straight, and I wore it for like for a reason. I wanted to kind of like test it out, and every time. I'm not saying I didn't get cold. Like, yeah, I did get cold. I, I get that. And I think no matter what you wear, you're going to, you know, maybe get the chill here and there. But overall, I was very impressed with the with the warmth that it that it held. But I was actually really impressed with, like, my socks. They didn't even stink at all. And, I mean, I, I put on a lot of miles, like, walking to my tree stand and stuff every morning and every night. And, you know, like um, like we were talking about earlier, it's been super warm in November. So, man, that shit's awesome. Love it. I feel like we're in a rerun of Dumb and Dumber here because sheldon has got six pairs of socks and we just figured out we got to the Rockies. <laughs> yeah, I've been wearing the same pair of those. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, be sure to check them out there for sure. And and Jason, you got anything else on the on the go here before uh, before Christmas? Well, um, I got a freezer full of. Uh, of venison so i'm going to be putting the pit barrel to to work here very soon and i'm, I'm kind of excited to see um just bring that flavor through the holiday season you know what i mean and uh really put it to the test and and uh I, I don't know i got i got a couple ideas rolling around what, what i want to do on there and i got some some sausage that i want to do on there and and all kinds of stuff so for those of you that are Freshly tuned with us, Pit Barrel workers are huge supporters of this podcast, and we truly believe in their products. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal flavor. You can't, you can't really beat it. Um, we've been using them for quite some time now, and it is a fantastic product. If you go to their website, pitbarrelcooker.com, they have some great Christmas sales on right now, and you can buy like uh, Christmas bundles and stuff like that. They're, I think, 20% off. And in Canada here... Uh, Manitoba Lux Barbecue carries them, and if you go to their website, they actually show locations across Canada that carry their products. So check them out, pitbarrelcooker.com, and uh, yeah, we'll stand by that product all day. Yeah, can you do me one thing, one favor here, Chase, is can you take this uh, idea out of my head and tell me if it's true or not, but take some water and smoke it and then make ice with it and then tell me, put it in your whiskey after and then tell me if there's a smoky flavor to it. I've heard of this like rumor. I just want to know if it's true. Have you guys not? You guys haven't, have you? No. I know we talked about. No. It, I've heard about it too, but I I, I like that idea. So, yeah. So get that done on the paper. I'll one of these days you're bored, man. Let me know how that goes. Done. Um. But yeah, to keep on moving forward, we got a wicked episode here with Dan Mallow from Rat River Outdoors, and we're talking a little bit of trapping. Um. The good thing about not I'm not saying it's a good thing, but um. He's only been trapping for a few years, so it was good to actually get to talking to him about the stuff he's learned. It's really fresh in his head um, and, you know, some of the tips and tricks along the way. Um, but, yeah, Tristan and I hosted that one. Tristan, what would you think of that? I, I really appreciated what Dan brought to the table. You could tell he's coming to it from, uh, like, a humble approach to everything he does. You can tell that he does with, like, humility and hard work, and he's doing it the right way. So I think, like – my myself as someone who doesn't do any trapping like i i was able to learn a lot from dan in a very approachable fashion and know that it was like kind of like an honest approach as well too so like uh anyone who's about to listen like i hope you uh you take that away as well as like maybe some valuable information is 
to, right? Yeah, I agree 100%. Without further ado, uh, introducing episode 67, Dan Mallow from Rat River Outdoors on Trapping in Manitoba. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, good to see you again. Uh, first of all, I want to just say a uh, huge thanks for uh, the ammo resupply there, the reloading resupply. It uh, helped me out there. It was going to be a crunch time if it wasn't for you guys at Rad River there. Uh, we, we worked hard to find those boxes. Uh, like I think you mentioned on one of your podcasts, uh, I think you got the last two boxes available in Canada and... Uh, where one of our suppliers uh, just happened to have them, so we all we all got a little lucky on that one. So, and H one thousand too, I think you had yeah. a pound of that. Yeah, that's gold. You can't find that thing in that stuff anywhere now. It's, yeah, so yeah, you lucked out pretty good, I think, on that one. So yeah, it's weird how that happens. Um, I yeah. see, I see you're joining us from the reloading room there. That's right. Yeah, you bet. Try to get some peace and quiet here. The the boys are pretty active upstairs there, so try to get some quiet area cool and where are you hanging your hat these days hanging the hat yeah like uh where where do you reside yeah no we're we're just north of uh of st pierre on the highway 59 so we own uh rat river outdoors there and uh yeah we're rocking and rolling over there and it's been it's been a cool adventure for for my wife and i we started it from nothing and and uh added on and uh and we'll see where it'll take us in the next few years uh we'll we'll keep try to expand and see what the the market actually needs where the 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 what, what the people actually want we'll, we'll keep filling that need there so in the whole outdoor world i was uh i got i was lucky enough to to be able to slide your way before we got hit with a bunch of restrictions here for covid and uh it was, uh, I was really impressed with the store, the variety you had there, and uh, it really seems like you're tapped in well to the community as well. Um, how, how long has the store been operating for, and what's that been like for serving the community? Uh, well, it, it's, a, it's been a neat uh, uh, journey because we started off as a small engine repair shop, and then I noticed, hey, nobody's doing this, uh, any firearms really. There was Cabela's and Wholesale Sports at the time, or maybe yeah, the bigger box stores at the time were just doing it and uh so we we got going with it and eventually the guns and ammo reloading stuff took over and uh i got to kick the small engines out of the picture and then we we just sold guns out of this tiny little showroom for two years paid our bills we saw that it was a viable uh business uh venture here so we added on and then so basically we've been selling guns for over eight years now uh, but as far as business goes, we've been in business for over 10 years. So just living off the business by itself, basically. So it's, uh, uh yeah, it started off small and, uh, it's still small in the grand scheme of things, but, uh, we, we just actually ended up hiring a third guy here, uh, uh, another employee. We had Kevin, which a lot of people, uh, knew, uh, from before. And, uh, and then now we, we just added another employee. So, so things are going well and that'll give me more time to, to really sit down and make some, some orders and, uh, um, you know, fill up, like fill the reloading, uh, shelves up, build reloading bullet shelves, whatever, and, and really expand in different areas there. So, so it's pretty exciting. I'll actually have a bit more time to take care of stuff. So. That's awesome to hear. I'm glad you're doing well on that end. And uh, it shows in the store, too. You can tell you take a lot of pride there. So that's great. 
Uh, Mish does too. Mish is a, my wife Mish is a big, big part. Without Mish, there wouldn't be any Rat River Outdoors. Uh, We're a a pretty solid team, so uh, she takes care. We don't see her too often, but she takes care of a whole lot of stuff in the background there. So really grateful for my awesome wife. So. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. So we're we're having you on the podcast today to chat about trapping. Um, mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I'm sure you're familiar that we do a little segment called Five Burning Questions and just to get a better sense of our guest and uh, so the viewers can or the listeners can get familiar with you. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be rapid fire, not always the case. Are you feeling ready? I didn't prepare for this, so... Shoot. <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be uh yeah. no wrong answer man no wrong answer so if you had yeah. if you had one last meal what would it be lobster lobster just just one giant lobster just whatever yeah anything <laughs> anything shellfish i would walk 300 miles for an all-you-can-eat buffet of lobster and crab and stuff yeah that's my favorite stuff in the world that's awesome and uh would you wash it down with anything in particular or? uh I'm not sure. Uh, I don't even know. Just cold beer or whatever. Try not to drink excessively, but just like one or two here and there. It's yeah. Good to go. Stella, whatever. Yeah. Maybe craft cool. brewery stuff. I like sporting like the that whole scene there. It's pretty cool. People are starting that up and they make good stuff. I like trying different things, so it's good. Totally. If you uh, if you had one gun left, or if you had one in the cabinet that you had to take, and that was going to be your only gun, what uh, what gun would that be? That's a funny question because the guys in the shop uh, and I we were talking about that. What would be the ideal caliber? Um, I, I'm thinking, well, it, depending what the scenario is, if it's if it's uh, end of times and it's a survival thing, we can't carry lots of ammo and stuff like that. I'd pick some something small. I, I personally like seven six two by thirty nine or two two three, something that doesn't eat a whole lot of powder. So you go way further with smaller projectiles and you don't have to carry as much lead, let's say. Let's say some crazy whatever survival situation and uh, you want to keep it light. I think that would be it. But if my one be all all around, let's say, hunting, let's say for whatever reason, that's all we're allowed to own is one gun for whatever reason. Hopefully that never comes down to that point. Um, I don't know. I really like my 300 short mag. I love those that caliber. Shorter barrels, short action, just as much punch as the big the 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 full length uh brother there the 300 win that that does everything i like it yeah that's what uh that's what chase shoots do and he uh he hasn't deviated either so uh mm-hmm. the, there'll be a couple of you around the table that would enjoy that caliber yeah right on um if you had one, what's one thing you've wished you've done that you haven't yet hmm boy that's kind of a loaded question. That's huge. <laughs> That's a oh, tough one. You bought a better boat. <laughs> yeah. I, I should I should just buy a bigger boat and all that stuff. All we have is our my tiny. It's almost I don't even want to talk about it. It's embarrassing, but uh, I I keep kind kind of making it uh, or soothing myself, thinking okay, well I I grew up in that little boat, this little 14 footer and my whole family uh, grew up in that thing. My dad gave it to me. He bought the bigger boat and that's all we have. We own a tackle store and that's all we have right now is a little tin boat. Uh, but you know, humility is a, uh, is a good thing. You know, again, here I am consoling myself here and, <laughs> but, uh, but basically all our, all, all our extra cash has been going towards a shop. It's been a, 
an expensive venture, you know, like adding on and all that stuff. So, so in all honesty, uh, our business is, has been the priority. So, uh, um, and our investment and all that stuff. So, so all our spare pennies has been going out to, to just try to fill up those shelves and, and whatever. So we, we live well, like we have nothing to, to complain about. We, we have our fun and, uh, we float and that's all that matters. We catch tons of fish. I think my fish finder is worth more than my boat. <laughs> and my outboard combined there but whatever and uh the boys have fun we 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 do well so so yeah but no bought a better better boat that's one thing i wish i would have done up to now or by now what kind of species do you like to target then fishing yeah i'm a walleye guy uh i'm that's what we i grew up uh you know like the big prize is always walleye you know like uh, you catch the old snot rocket and Eh, whatever who cares you know like uh, we'll, we've never gone maybe when uh, when things were slow we'd go cast spoons or whatever when we were kids just to keep us busy and but i mean uh, it was always the walleye you know grind it out go find those things and i'm trying to pass that on to my boys but they're not uh they're not digging it as much they're bored of walleyes um they're they're into all this multi-species stuff whatever <laughs> trout and whatever <laughs> Too bad, no way. Walleye is where it's at, my boys. Yeah, yeah. There's just nothing like feeling that that those big head shakes and all that stuff coming up from the bottom. Like those, yeah. I don't know. I, catching master angler walleye is awesome, in my opinion. But totally, we were uh, we were born and bred kind of walleye fishermen too, and but we've been branching out lately, and so it's been it's kind of been a balancing act for sure. Yeah, and you know I'm not gonna. I, I was just joking with the multi-species oh, totally. stuff, whatever. I, I've been trout fishing. I've been I've caught salmon when I was in Ontario. I've caught halibut on the west coast and all that stuff. They're all awesome, but there's just some, you know, it's it's like home. Uh, going walleye fishing is, you know, you try all these things. They're fun and all that, but just come back to the old walleye is just part of my my uh, youth and all that stuff. And good memories, the whole family. So I don't know, like it. Yeah, I think if we if I had to fish one fish for the rest of my life, it might be walleye just to be safe. Just yeah, knowing that uh, that personal attachment for sure. Um, bass is wicked too, though. Like catching smallmouth bass is just awesome. But but again, I'll, I'll always resort back to catching walleye. But whatever. Sheldon, how about you? What would you fish for? I'd be the walleye guy as well. I I don't know. It's been uh, growing up in the north, northern Manitoba, and a lot of lakes we fished was was walleye and jack and you know, fishing with my dad and my uncle and those older fellas, that's all they wanted to fish for is stuff that you could take home and eat. And I'm not saying you couldn't eat a good jack, you know, play maybe a smaller jack in the spring or something. It tastes just as good. But, um, yeah, I was kind of hooked on walleye at a young age that I, it's hard to turn around and go back. But the same thing, like I like to fish other species too, but it just seems to be one of those things if uh, the opportunities there, I always kind of float towards the walleye fishing. Yeah. So we're, we're unanimous around the table then, I guess. <laughs> so last question here dan and uh uh i'm not sh- this this one i'm not sure where, where you land but uh i'm not sure how much COVID has impacted you but uh i'm wondering like is there something that you're kind of gearing to do that COVID has kind of put the back burner on that you'll once COVID kind of lifts that you'll get out there and do again no i've uh i've i haven't been uh, affected by by COVID and i I really, really have a, a lot of pity and a lot of I, I, so much. Uh, I feel for the people who lost so much because of it. Let's say, like uh, uh, 
restaurant owners, uh, bar owners, whatever, any, all, all the, the lodge guys, you know, that, that dependent on the Americans coming up and, and whatever, all that stuff, um, all the economy that runs from, from tourism and, and all that stuff, I, I feel for them that the people who are really struggling and all the employees that they employed and everything, they're supporting their families uh, and everything um, on these paychecks and, and they're all out of work and everything. Um, but for myself, definitely not bragging, but I'm just saying uh, that for myself, just uh, the lifestyle we, we live, uh, being all outdoors, everything, that's our source of enjoyment for so many things. All the seasons provide different uh, opportunities to to, to enjoy the outdoors and everything. And we enjoy every single one of them. So the boys and I, we go out trapping, like we were muskrat trapping. We were, uh, we didn't put any beaver sets out yet. So, uh, we were waiting for everything to freeze up cause we really enjoy under ice beaver trapping and everything. We just finished deer season. Uh, coyote trapping is going to start, but I'm waiting for it to get a little colder yet. But, and then after that ice fishing is going to kick in, um, and then springtime, well, we, we go back to beavers and all that stuff and muskrats. And uh, so so the whole outdoor our outdoor lifestyle, my boys are outdoor crazy guys there or whatever. And uh, uh, so it, this is what we love. This is what we do. And and uh, thank goodness uh, none of that's been affected by, by the COVID. The only thing that's a bummer has been the coyote uh, health prices uh, have gone down a little bit because the auctions aren't happening like fur prices are going down a little bit because the auction prices aren't aren't like they used to be because the people can't travel to come see the furs and feel the furs so they're, they're not they're not you know buying as 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 high as they used to be but uh, but it still doesn't matter we're still going to trap out of sheer enjoyment and all that stuff so that's interesting yeah. that the prices are down, but uh, I guess it makes sense now that you've kind of shared it that way. Well, it, it, well, we, there's a fur buyer that comes to the shop, and, and the way he explained it was, uh, um, it's not it's not a huge huge hit. I guess we got kind of spoiled. The last year was a boomer year for coyote pelts. Um, we were, uh, you know, on a if you could have sold it to the auction or you could sell it to fur buyers and. Uh, the really good, good pelts that he had, he, he would give uh, up to $170 per pelt for the really nice ones. That's the most he would pay out, which is huge. That's a pile of money for, for, for a coyote pelt. But, I mean, on the real nice ones, you could even get higher at the auction. But going and selling your furs at the auctions is always kind of a gamble because now, you know, everybody anticipated this record breaker year and all that stuff. Uh, but then COVID. It squashed everything. So now the the Chinese buyers and um, European buyers they they were all in lockdown. Nobody could come to the auctions, and everybody really wants to see the furs, feel the furs um, before they they bid on any lot or whatever. And I'm not going to claim to be an expert at that end of things, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask you there uh, when it comes to the fur buyer or fur buyers or people of the market, let's just say in general. Where are the majority of the Canadian furs going? Like, are they, you kind of mentioned uh, China and um, and Europe and stuff. Are those kind of the biggest uh, buyers or markets that that the Canadian furs get sold to? I would say so. Uh, I wish I had that uh, uh, that fur buyer, uh, like he comes to the shop quite a bit. And uh, I wish he could chime in on all this because he is, 
a guru when it comes to that because he's been in the industry ever since he was a little boy and all that stuff and uh he he knows the ins and outs of all of it but uh but that's the way it sounds uh it sounds like uh, a lot of uh there's a lot of uh fur jackets uh that that come out of china and everything and a lot of a lot of knockoff stuff that they make it look like the big name parkas and all that stuff um that are they they all have the the signature coyote uh rim around the the hood which holds a lot of heat so the inuit used to use that's that whole thing that fur actually insulates the whole you don't have to cover your face the the fur actually keeps all the the heat close to your face and you don't even have to wear a scarf or anything because that fur just holds so much heat and all that stuff so anyways so the italians um and then uh the the big big guy is uh canada goose down jackets like the big arctic expedition jackets with that fur that's that's why they use it because it's so warm no no other material no other man-made material can uh can replicate that that type of insulation so yeah i've uh worked up north like uh in churchill and vinderank and stuff like that and you know everyone's got the, the fur on the hood and um myself i also have like a canada goose jacket with the with cow fur around and just like you said, it's it not only like keeps the heat in, but it, like that fur almost is like a wind block. Like the wind does not hit your face when you have that hood up, unless you're like looking directly into it, I guess. Um, and the one neat thing I was talking to one of the local guys up uh, up in Churchill that does a lot of trapping, and he was telling me, and I don't know how true it is, but I'm believing him, is that the only fur that doesn't actually frost up is Wolverine fur. So they use that in like a lot of jackets way far up north is that Wolverine fur around the hood. Just because it doesn't actually get frost and and stuff like that, but so that was quite interesting. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and I I have a I've heard some folks say too that you know you can use there's synthetic alternatives out there that are just as good as fur, and I don't think I've ever seen a synthetic alternative that um, is kind of held up the way that fur would to, to not only general use but just like being outside and getting wet or getting you know like these kind of things that uh that you you expose yourself up to when you go and do outdoor activities right you're not just outside sipping on a a cocoa or something like that you're typically you're doing something right so you need something a little bit more rugged i feel and uh have a deep appreciation for that for sure and there there is nothing else like it like real fur uh insulates my wife is actually making uh mitts out of uh beavers that we caught last year she's taking her uh she's she's trying that whole scene out but you put your hands in those mitts for i don't even know like a a few seconds and you could just feel the heat just coming right back at you just uh just an amazing amazing uh uh mitt it's gonna be maybe almost too warm is what most people say (laughs) with real fur but when we have our crazy uh winters like we do and all that stuff and there i don't think there is such a thing as too warm you know mm. so yeah and that, that... I've, I've been exploring uh the possibilities of making boot liners out of uh beaver fur uh uh just the top part and all that stuff so when i'm sitting in my stand i take out my other liners slide on some fur boot liners and then that way i could squeeze in maybe another few hours of sitting in minus 20 or whatever this year has it hasn't been the case this year because we have no cold weather yet but the other hunting seasons man that's the killer you know frozen toes that's yeah and like in the stand that's one thing i do i have a pair of like gauntlet 
uh, myths that were actually uh, made by a local in Churchill. And they're made out of seal, and they're quite big, but they're perfect for archery hunting because I can get my, my, my hand in them with my release. And I wear like a wool kind of like mouser, like liner kind of thing. So I wear those all the time. And then, you know, if something's happening, I can easily pull my hands out and be ready to, to shoot. And it does. It, it makes you last, you know, a couple of more hours in the stand without thinking about your fingers falling off. But yeah. I, uh, I, I could agree with the boot aspect for sure. Got to got to try it. I think anything to stay out longer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you evidently you survived the the five questions just fine, and uh, we're we're now well into the the trapping discussion. Uh, we've got to ask you though, like how did you, how did you get your start, Dan? Like how did you start dabbling in trapping, and what did it look like, and or did you learn somewhere? Like how did that journey go? Um. Well, I have, I always had the interest in doing it. Um, it, I always, uh, when I was a kid, I always just thought about it. Okay, I gotta do this and a lot, but uh, didn't uh, we? I grew up in the city, actually, uh, just in Windsor Park in Winnipeg, actually, and uh, so there was no real trapping opportunities there, uh, you know, like, uh, <laughs> um, so I was always making traps out of coat hangers and all that stuff. So I don't know, I was just, and I was always making guns too, elastic guns, construct guns, all these things. Um, so anyways, so now, now I was like, oh, now I'm. I'm a grown up now. It's like, why am I not trapping? It's something I've always wanted to do. So we took the course. Uh, they actually held the course in my shop in the back where I teach the uh, firearm safety courses, which are on hold because of the COVID there or whatever. But uh, but uh, the the Bob Windsor, he's a conservation officer, super knowledgeable guy. He's been trapping forever. He's out of the Steinbach detachment, and he hit he holds the awesomest best courses so if anybody wants to get into it any any of the courses trapping courses uh are great i'm sure but what he puts on is amazing it's two days of it's two eight hour days of just awesome information just the the more I, I didn't want it to end i would have sat in a class of god for a week with all the stuff that we learned and everything we so uh they teach you about skinning they actually bring critters in there so so they could teach you how to skin a beaver and and fleshing they give everybody a chance to try fleshing i can't remember the i think it was a coyote or something like that but um and just so everybody gets an idea of how to do it and then boarding and and the whole uh the whole system and everything and the whole biology behind it the the marketing the everything and so it was great so we took the course uh my oldest boy and i and then then we got into it uh it, it takes a lot, actually. We didn't have anybody to teach us. And the, the first coyote, the first year we trapped, I think I caught three fox. We were targeting coyotes, but if fox are kind of like a byproduct of coyote uh, trapping. They're they're not worth anything. They're, they're worth something to us, actually, because uh, we'll sell them as wall hangers in the, in the shop. So they're not worth selling on the market because you'll get, like, 10 15 bucks for these guys if it's a nice one and uh but we tan them we have them tanned at international fur dressers which they're number one in the world um but anyway so so but then that first year all i did was catch one coyote <laughs> and then i skinned it and then then came the fleshing i was so discouraged because it was so going so bad. Oh, I wasn't equipped proper. I didn't have a good fleshing beam. I didn't have that. Didn't have the knowledge. I was trying to do it all by myself. The hide started drying up. All that. It was. It was so uh, demoralizing, you know. So I guess uh, that was whatever. That's one of the big things that anybody who wants to get into it. 
don't give up at your first critter you're trying to flesh. It is an art and it's a technique that you have to learn. So I picked brains of all these other people that used to do it and they got me through it. And, uh, and then, then once you do one or two, all of a sudden it just, it just happens. You just know what you're doing all of a sudden, but you have to get through that first one or two critters to, to actually get the hang of it. So, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, that's, that's what we did. So we, we bought our, uh, our power snares and, and what other, well, we, that first year was all power snares. Uh, and then after that, uh, and then, then the next year came along, we, we got into beaver trapping. Uh, we had people that had problem beavers and all that stuff. They asked us, I was like, Hey boys, let's, uh, let's try our hands at beavers. Let's try this stuff. We set up a bunch of beaver traps and we ended up catching like 15 beavers. We caught some through the ice, caught, uh, caught some on, uh, just on the shoreline there or whatever and uh, different types of sets that, that we were exploring and see what would work. So then we gradually, uh, uh, once you start trapping, you kind of start getting a knack of it. You, your first time out, and everybody has the same story, it seems like. Your first year, it stinks. You'll, you'll catch one or two coyotes or, or uh, fox or whatever it is, and then you kind it's kind of discouraging. How have all this money invested into all this equipment, and you, you, you haven't paid it off. Second year comes along, all of a sudden, you just have a little bit more experience, and it's funny how everything comes together. We ended up catching uh, 14 or maybe 15 coyotes. Uh, on our second year that was last year so i've only been trapping two years i'm not going to pretend i'm this crazy expert it's a huge learning curve like to get into it but but uh, everybody has the same progression it seems like second year is always better so i'm really looking forward to this year because now you just know where to set how to how things go you know the the, the creature's habits a lot better and uh, so yeah so so that's how we got into it and just open everything so the town of st pierre asked us to trap muskrats in the lagoon i have no idea how to trap muskrats i've never done it watch a bunch of youtube videos tried our hand at it and we bombed at it but we didn't get discouraged i think we caught like oh what was it maybe six or seven of the little guys but um but we're gonna keep trying 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 until things start clicking and uh and we will get there because that's what we did with coyotes and and uh it's just a it's just a experience thing so and yeah pick people's brains about it and eventually you'll you'll find uh, you you'll get it yeah. that's cool um i what you mentioned a couple uh or maybe it'd be technical terms for someone who hasn't trapped before but you mentioned like a power snare and i'm guessing there's there's other trap styles out there like a corner bear or something like that could you maybe just explain you know what a power snare is and how that operates yeah for sure uh it's kind of hard to explain lane uh we live in uh live in southern manitoba so this is a a um, um it, it's an open area so it's a so it's not a registered trap line area so uh, northern manitoba eastern manitoba like i think it starts up northern white shell and all that stuff is the rtl area so registered trap line so you have to own the rights to or not the rights or i guess maybe the rights but you have to own the trap line to trap on it and if you want to trap in that area you have to be under somebody who owns that trap line and you have permission to trap on that line and it has to be you have to be registered under that trap line as a helper or whatever that's the only way you could trap in a registered trap line is either you own it or somebody invited you to help out trapping it or whatever but then after that in uh, southern manitoba uh we just we just have the open area and in the opening on in a registered trapline area you're allowed to use just a snare with a with a locking device 
a cam lock or a micro lock on there and and you can set snares all over the place and that is way more cost cost efficient that, that costs like pennies a snare you know like a maybe a dollar fifty or something like that and has your whole snare but the problem with snaring like that well what's the reason you're allowed to do that in a registered trap line is because if you leave your snares out and a game warden comes along and finds all this equipment out um after the season's done they know who owns the trap line and then after that then if if you own the trap line they find a whole bunch of snares left out they'll find you and all that stuff but in an open area there's no way to find who left that all that equipment behind and you know now you're trapping out a season you're just being irresponsible leaving all these sets out catching any other critter walking along and they're just leaving there for the birds and all that stuff it's un- unethical it's it's not uh, the way to do it so the way the reason that we need this power snare which is going back to okay what what it is a great big spring like picture boy i don't even know how to describe it like a big hairspring that you 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 collapse on itself it, it well just anybody who's curious about what it is you, they could just go on the google and and just type in power snare you'll see what it is and uh, and uh, so it's a snare connected to a massive spring when the critter gets caught in a snare it'll pull and the trigger is going to release and then the spring's going to spring open and it's going to cause that cable to cinch up around the uh, the animal's neck and it's going to cut not necessarily its windpipe it's not going to choke it to death it's basically going to cut the blood flow in the jugular basically um so it's basically putting that animal in a in a chokehold a few seconds it doesn't take very long uh, that animal passes out doesn't even know what's going on it's just unconscious unconscious and then after that then then it dies doesn't even know it's dying basically so as long as it's a good proper catch you could have bad catches and stuff like that and you have to set appropriately to avoid having those bad catches or catching other animals that you're not targeting so if if there's a deer trail somewhere around then you you don't set a coyote snare or whatever a power ram on a deer trail and hope not to catch a deer because eventually deer's going to come by and 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 snares are funny how they work because um, you, you, it's it's like a, any cable lying around, you'll get caught up in it. So uh, so this snare just catches you. Uh, you don't even think you'll get caught in it or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it just wrapped around your, your leg or something like that, right? So it catches lots of stuff. So you have to be responsible how you set up and all that stuff. So you don't catch uh, the, the, the animals you don't want to catch. Yeah, they're they're very powerful too. Like I've I've seen them go off before, and they're just like there's there's a lot of power behind like a like a some of those big power snares for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then have you, do you have any uh, experience with the Connor bears? Like I guess that that would be more of a like kind of like a uh, it almost looks like a wire box of sorts, eh? And it collapses in on itself, kind of like a classic rat trap in some ways or something like that. Yeah, uh, Connor bear is a is the uh, is a manufacturer, I guess, or or a type of uh, it, it was like the skidoo basically. So Connor bear, uh, basically the the word is a more of a body grip, and then Connor bear came out. But then uh, uh, now there's there's all sorts of different manufacturers, but you have to watch those types of traps because a lot of them aren't certified. So when you uh, when you want to go uh, trapping. For whatever uh, uh, whatever animal you're you're targeting, you have to make sure that you're using a uh, inappropriate uh, uh, manufacturer trap. So, like, right. let's say Belial, that's the most common one. But every creature, I have the trapping rigs here or whatever. But 
Um, I could just give you an example here of all the uh, certified traps because they want to make sure that people are using traps that will do the job efficiently so that way it's an ethical way to trap so the animal gets caught in it it's not suffering if it's caught properly it will uh, expire i would say when it comes to like body grip traps probably instantly when that thing slams um it uh, it's game over for whatever's inside there but uh but let's say um uh, so let's say beavers, we're going to go beaver trapping. These, this is a list of, uh, traps that are certified for beaver. Just for, for example, Belial Classic 330, Belial 280s. So when we're talking 330 and 280s, that's the size of the trap. So you have to use the appropriate size of the trap. And then after that, um, for, for whatever, uh, animal you're targeting. But then after that, you have the the BMI 280, BMI 330, Bridger 330, Duke 330, Duke 280, all these different manufacturers. But you have to make sure that those traps are listed in the regs because if you get caught using an uncertified trap um, uh, for beavers uh, above water, like if it's underwater, then then it's a, if it's enough to hold the beaver underwater, then I'm pretty sure any trap will do it. As long as the beaver, it's an underwater set. But if you're setting on land, then it needs to be an appropriate uh, certified trap. And it's all in the regs. So, and then the same goes for fisher, same goes for muskrat, same goes for otter, raccoon. You have to use the right trap. So, so don't just go buying anything blindly, assuming it's going to be okay, because you don't want to get caught with a nasty fine if, uh, if a conservation officer finds your, your traps or whatever, or you get reported or whatever. So, yeah. That's a good reminder. Chase and I recently hosted a like an intro to big game hunting webinar with the Wildlife Federation here in Manitoba. And mm. uh I, we were just going over some basics of big game hunting, but it it uh it certainly is the case that it's always a good idea and we kept reminding ourselves and the participants to refer back to the regulations cuz they're there for a reason and they're there there's often these like really unique regulations like I can think about like even just within the big game hunting scenarios, um, you know, certain hunting areas that have different bag limits or different uh, tags than than you would see in the other side of the province, for example. And you wouldn't know that unless you looked at those regulations pretty carefully, right? So exactly, yeah, it's a good idea to check those out very thoroughly. So that's a that's another great resource that we'll uh, be sure to link in here. And then uh, there's one thing I don't think I even finished off why we needed power rams on the in the open area i don't i don't think so we were talking about you yeah, had yeah. all these cheap sets laying around or it being able to use in the rtls like the registered trap line areas but the open area the reason you need a power ram they, it's not like they they do the job better or nothing it's because they're worth 35 bucks <laughs> and this is part of the regulations too this is all in the regulations and the reason that in the open area we have to use power ramps is because it gives a reason uh, for people to go back and get their equipment because they're not just going to leave like uh, a 35 dollar uh, power ram uh out in the in the field or wherever they're going to go back and get that thing because uh, that's a lot of money but if it's a dollar fifty snare, uh, then then people are, will be more inclined to just leave them out there, and then uh, then that's totally unethical, you know. So, uh, so anyways, just to cap that, when when we're talking about the regulations, that's why the regulations are. A lot of people wonder, it's like, oh, what do we need uh, power rams here? Everybody's using 
just camlocks and stuff up north. Why, why can't it be down here? Well, that's the reason is because uh, people just leave them out and uh, then we're going to be, we're going to be uh, whatever, killing all these creature, uh, creatures for, for no reason and whatever. So anyways, just to cap that one off. Got yeah. And you, you talked a little bit or well, all your um, experience kind of being in Southern Manitoba. Um, what are, so what are some of the critters that you are after that you mentioned coyotes, uh, muskrats and beavers? Is there anything else that's kind of uh, lingering in your area that you m- may target or maybe may not target that might come into a trap here or there? Uh, we did raccoons. Uh, we got permission from the municipality to go dump, uh, to go dump, to go trap at the dump uh in our municipality because that's just a a no-brainer basically you know like a, that's a big smorgasbord for for raccoons so we did the raccoons but we found that the raccoon pelts didn't really sell all that well like uh, there's not that much demand for them they're not worth anything at the auctions uh so i mean to go back and forth check your sets and this and that whatever i was hoping we'd sell more but uh no big deal we'll catch more once we sell the ones we do have like we're hoping to to tap into maybe uh uh you know the the arts and uh not arts but like the the craft scene where people yeah. it's like oh, i'm looking for first to make mitts or moccasins or whatever and then eh, with time it might catch on or whatever if not we'll we'll just use them hey, i think we're we're gonna enjoy trying to make our own stuff out of all these furs we're catching too but um but anyways yeah raccoon skunks skunks are awesome um they uh they they just they're just beautiful animals, beautiful pelts, beautiful wall hangers and all that stuff. They're a pest. Uh, <laughs> they're full of rabies a lot of times. They're one of the highest uh, odds of having rabies. So whenever you trap skunks, make sure you have you keep that in mind. Uh, wear gloves and, and just due diligence. And then we, uh, we caught one. We haven't skinned it yet. Uh, this was just a new venture. My boys actually caught the skunk. Uh, but now we have it's frozen we have to deactivate it they have the scent gland so we we're all ready with the syringe there and we're gonna wear a face shield and all that stuff and uh try our hand at deactivating these skunks <laughs> uh the essence is worth a, a few dollars so the pelts are are awesome and, the, and then the essence is actually worth a lot for uh um i don't know the exact price on the essence but uh it is sought after for for uh, lure making so Martin, Martin's go bonkers. Everything goes nuts for skunk, like coyote baits with skunk, uh, Martin baits, like Martin magic and all that stuff. It's all basically skunk essence mixed in with, who knows, like Vaseline and other sweet stuff or whatever. And then that, that brings them in. So, so there is a market for the essence if you're brave enough to, to, to extract it. <laughs> so skunks, uh, weasels, my boys are crazy about weasel, uh, trapping. The, it, the, it's just a fun thing for kids to do. You use rat traps in a box. That's a certified trap. Uh, if you use a Victor rat trap, it's it's a certified weasel trap. So, um, so they're pretty easy to catch and all that stuff. And they're just they they have their whole trap line. They don't even want to hang out with me when I go check my uh, coyote traps. They have their own trap line. We'll take our old snowmobiles, drive up to our spot, and it's like, all right, Dad, see you later. And then they just take off and they go check their, their weasel boxes and they have rabbit snares set up and all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, so it's an awesome, fun time. But, yeah, weasels, raccoons, muskrats, everything. Uh, we caught an otter uh, when we were sending for uh, beavers, but we're, we're not allowed to catch otters in the southern area here. Um, there uh, There's a zone, like I think it's zone one from – Oh, I don't know like the cutoff. I think like the 12 or something like that. 12 number 12 highway 
and west, you're not allowed to trap otters. But otters are crazy. They just go everywhere, those things. So the one ended up getting caught in one of our beaver sets. We weren't targeting it. But, uh, but we reported it right away. Uh, we just called the, uh, the uh, conservation office, explained what happened, and we got a possession permit for it. And then we were able to keep it once we had the uh, possession permit. So we had it tanned, and uh, then somebody uh, bought it. That's sweet. Um, so when it comes to, like, say, an accidental catch or trap, <clears throat> what's your due diligence? Like, what's your next step? Is it calling, like, let's just say, like, you caught a deer by the nose or you caught a, you know, the, the neighbor's dog by accident or something mm-hmm. in a snare. You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure that happens somewhere. But what is, what's the procedure? Do you call conservation and, and kind of explain or or what, what do you do then? Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think uh, reporting uh Everything uh, that happens, they know. Uh, you know, as long as you're, as long as you're not calling them every week with the deer caught in your snare or something, you know, like yeah. uh, then you're like, all right, Dan, uh, wake up, you, you know, like uh, there are ways to avoid catching deer, you know, just don't set on deer traps. But, um, but yeah, it's, if it's a yeah total accident, uh, and there's it, it it has to be reported. Because if you don't report it and somebody goes walking along and then they find a, a deer uh, with a snare frozen around its nose or something like that, then it's just going to, you know, somebody's going to report you. So if you don't report that this happened, well, somebody's going to do the reporting if they find it. And uh, and then you, you might get in trouble. Well, who's trapping that land? It's like, well, Dan was. Um, then then they'll, you'll get a, a phone call. Did you trap a deer? It's like, uh, well, yeah. Why didn't you report it? You know, it's like it's so much easier just to go uh, along with the law and everything and then just just report anything. And then that way, if anybody reports it, the conservation officers know about it. Oh, yeah. Dan phoned that last week. Uh, he caught one by accident and all that stuff. It's it's all it's all known about. There's no need for extra investigation here. So, um, but yeah, no. Uh, and then uh, catching dogs. Uh, that's that's one thing that. That you really, really have to be careful of when if somebody wants to get into uh, um, trapping is even though if you you know a spot that's overrun with with coyotes, let's say like uh, they they howl and they're always going uh, you know you see them running in the fields and all that stuff. But if you're any in any kind of built up area, there's pets running around. That's that's the biggest one. You might have the best coyote spot to go set rams, but if there's any chance of you catching a dog a neighbor's dog oh man yeah sometimes you have to revise that plan you got to go talk to to that the the homeowners in the area you have to inform them or ask them to just feel it out it's like hey you know like are coyotes a big deal some people say yeah get rid of those stupid things uh, it's like yeah but your dog i'll tie it up uh you know i'll make sure it doesn't go anywhere get rid of these things some people are all for it because coyotes they terrorize uh livestock and all that stuff um, but then after that, you might knock at a door and somebody says, how dare you set traps around here? You know, like, uh, how could you even think of this? You know, and all that stuff. It's like, okay, no, that's why I'm here. I'm, I just want to feel it out. I'm just seeing if, if, if it's a good idea or not. If you get somebody who's completely against it, it might not be, even though it stinks and you might have permission to go there. I don't know if it's worth all that hassle to deal with an angry, uh, you know, pet owner that, that got caught in your trap. That's, that's, that leads to a lot of, a lot of headaches. Um, 
So, so you really have to watch and you have to watch kids. If you're setting for beavers, let's say, and you have, um, three thirty, uh, three thirties, uh, whatever trap you're using, um, set outside the water uh, or half in the water kids, you know, they can't resist going to play in the water. If they're, if people are, are going around in a river, like a public land or something like that near a river, you know, there's walking trails nearby. People will be inclined to walk their dogs and, and, you know, their kids are going to be walking around, you know, it's nature. We want to enjoy it and all that stuff. So you really have to keep in mind if, if there's any chance of anybody getting injured here and all that stuff, uh, be vigilant. So that's one of the reasons like for beavers, unless I'm on, on private property, everything, no, everybody knows what's happening and all that stuff. Uh, one of the reasons why I really, you know, catching beavers under the ice is a hoot because it's kind of like ice fishing, pulling up your tip up or whatever, but you don't know if you have one in there. That's the whole suspense. Uh, you, you pull up your trap and you could hardly feel if there's any weight in it because they're kind of negative buoyant there or whatever there. And then after that, you pull your trap. Oh, I see a, a, a spring is sprung, you know, and then you, you pull up your trap and you have one in there. It's exciting. Everybody's loves it. But one of the awesome things about it is that you don't have to worry about catching pets or kids or anything or anything else but a beaver um when it's set underwater like that so that's that's why i like it that way i don't have time to deal with any uh any angry neighbors or whatever it is or or somebody that might have got caught in a trap accidentally or something like that because you want to go fishing or whatever so uh anyways that's why i like underwater sets but you always always have to keep that in mind um uh, like uh if anybody else is using that land for any reason you really have to you really have to watch yourself uh, so you don't uh, get in any trouble in that way. So, yeah. We kind of chatted about how you got into trapping and what that learning curve was like. Is there any lessons that you would share with folks that knowing what you know now, you know, like you would do things differently or were there any like really steep, like aha moments? Like, Oh yeah, that, uh, that made me learn. I can think about for myself the first time I got scoped. I certainly learned how to hold a firearm properly after that. For sure. Uh, if you're, if there's so much to trapping, it's it's kind of like a you have to have all your wits about yourself. Um, if you're tired, if you're overworked or whatever, I, I remember one time I had worked a whole day. I finished teaching a course. It was like. I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or something like that, I was beat. And uh, uh, I was just curious to see what the, the the trigger tension was on a 120 Belial. And it sounds pretty innocent, like these little 120s are, are Martin traps, and they don't look intimidating at all. They're just small. But um, anyways, I uh, I just wanted to see if, if where I put the trigger at, you know, how, how it can make it more of a hair trigger and all that stuff. Anyways, so I I totally forgot. I took it out of a box. And I didn't put the safeties on the spring because I was so tired. I let my guard down um, and I uh, I didn't even think about the safeties. I was like, oh, yeah, let's set this thing. And then I was using my thumb, but I was holding the trap jaws with my hands so they wouldn't slam shut. And, and then I just wanted to see how light it had to be, you know, so I could make it so that, you know, a smaller animal or whatever would, would trigger it easier or whatever. I was just curious, basically. And uh, anyway, so I set it up again and I did it a second time. Then I, I was like, eh, okay, not too big of a difference here. And I just released the trap. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, the safeties were off. I had never put the safeties on. So here I was, total bonehead, in my shop in the back, 
thank goodness I wasn't in the middle of the bush. Uh, but this is just an example of what happens when you let your guard down. If you're tired, if you're not paying attention at every single moment when you're trapping, um, you'll end up in a situation like this. And all trappers uh, will have stories like this. It's inevitable. But I had my two thumbs stuck in this 120. And what do you do now? I couldn't open a door. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't grab a pair of setters. I couldn't grab a rope so I could make my way out of this thing. You know, like both hands were jammed in this thing. And those little traps are so strong. It was crazy. It hurt. And it didn't even slam on me. It just shut its jaws gently on me. And it was just putting so much pressure on my joints that I was like, ah. So I ended up stepping on one side and ripping my thumb out of one side the uh, the uh, the trap and then after that uh, grab my setters and then uh, and then pop the springs you know down and then put put the safeties on and then managed then I got out that way and then I looked at my my joints uh, afterwards I like I thought I had done some nerve damage that's it was crazy how tight that was you know so I was that was a real eye opener I was like oh imagine you do a goofy thing like that in the middle of the bush or if you're tethered to a tree with a steel cable and you don't have your setters nearby or you don't have a knife nearby to to do anything uh, you could really really put yourself in a uh, sticky situation so and uh yeah one one story that they used during the course uh, two years ago was one trapper was setting for beaver uh by a beaver hut and all that stuff under the ice and for whatever reason i guess he wanted to adjust his trap or I don't know how it happened, but he ended up getting both hands stuck in a 330 under the ice. So both hands, and he was stuck under the ice, and he had to try to to wiggle his way out of this thing somehow. I don't even know how the story ended. He made his way out of it, but, but oh, man, that could have been super dangerous. And then thin ice, you always have to watch thin ice, get a spud bar, check the, the ice around beaver dams and everything uh, where the beavers go in and out of the hut. It never freezes that well. So if anybody's walking around a beaver hut, beware. Uh, and it could be super deep there too. So anyways, so yeah, there's there's just so much to it. Basically, have your wits about you it, like at all times. And uh, when you're using power snares, like uh, power rams, make sure that you're using safeties. Um, a lot of people omit that. But but then some sometimes your 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 snare is not hanging right. You just want to adjust it. And there's all sorts of stories about people trying to adjust their snare and then suddenly it goes off and they eat the uh, the ram on the side of the jar or something like that. And you Ooh. can get knocked out that with that way. It's crazy the energy those things have. So so um, yeah, use safeties anytime you anytime you set your trap, put your safety on and don't don't get brave. It, it'll happen to you. Um, you will get bit at one point. You can't be, uh, you know, like I was saying, everybody's got stories like that. Anybody who's trapped has a story. So it's like, avoid that. Don't, don't let your guard down, use your safeties, do everything proper because you don't want to, whatever it could be, could cost your life actually. So, yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing too much the same way hunting and fishing does. It kind of extends your time outside trapping, um, you're spending more time outdoors, more time with your boys. It sounds like have you have you got to see some like really cool uh, either wildlife or any kind of nature experience because of the the time you spent trapping here? Um, I'm not sure if uh, you know you get uh, 
had some really cool uh, moments where where the coyotes weren't that far away. Uh, I was uh, by myself. Uh, a lot of times I, I I do pretty much everything at night because by the time uh, I finish work and everything, it's dark outside. So I just went outside one time and it was it was minus whatever. Uh, uh, minus 25 minus 30 and i just don't care uh you just dress for it and put your snowmobile helmet feels like you're on the surface of the moon there dressed up like an astronaut you're walking around with your because the wind is just howling and all that stuff but it's stronger than me i gotta go out there so it's here i am but one time i was sitting in the middle of the bush around the bait pile and uh the coyotes basically started howling uh uh, I don't know how far they were. They were close. Like they, they were right next to me. And I guess they didn't smell me, didn't know I was there. But, uh, but you know, there's always these, you're close to wildlife like that. And it's just like, ooh, it kind of sends your, the, the old shivers down the spine. Eh? Now you start, ooh, where are these guys? Are these guys eyeing me up the whole pack? Are they ganging up on me and all that stuff? It's kind of, you know, the odds you hear of that happening, the odd time coyotes will typically not do anything like that. But the, they're wild or whatever you don't know and uh and people have been attacked by packs of coyotes before and everything but it does send you when you're in the middle i don't know it's like 11 o'clock at night pitch black outside and then you hear this pack of coyotes just going insane right beside you um it's a neat it's a neat feeling that you wouldn't really get you know sitting on your couch at home and uh watching tv or something so yeah i think uh a lot of deer hunters uh experience that that coyote it's almost like a coyote shiver when uh you know you hear them for three or four nights in a row and they're quite far away and then all of a sudden they're about one night they're like it sounds like they're right by your tree stand and you're like oh shit gotta walk oh, out. <laughs> yeah. but, um i got a question you're talking about um you're setting traps and uh etc and i don't know much about it so there's probably some sort of reg with it as well but like what's the the set length, like how how much time do you do you leave your traps? Well, let's just say for a coyote set, um, just to make it easy. But and then maybe a beaver set. But like, how long would you be waiting for before you go check them? Or, or is there actually a reg saying that you got to go check them every so often? If if you're using footholds, uh, like that's not a killing trap. The foothold, you have to. There's a whole bunch of regulations uh, with those traps too. They have to be laminated, and uh, they have to be. Uh, Oh, what do you call that term? Uh, laminated, and there needs to be a space in between. I can't. I'm. I, I, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, oh well, whatever. I can't remember the stupid term, but um, it's got to have a space in between so it doesn't cut off the blood circulation to the foot. Uh, I'll think about it in two seconds. But anyways, it needs to be modified that way uh, because if the old school traps that just have flat jaws or whatever, they they'll, they'll clamp the paw. And then it'll cut blood circulation. The paw's gonna freeze, and then they don't they don't feel anything. They'll chew out, so it, it's it's cruel and all that stuff. So basically, you have to use the appropriate uh, um, uh, leg hold traps. Some have padded jaws, which are rubber, so you could basically stick your hand in there. It's not gonna break your bones or anything. The pads, the rubber pads, are gonna prevent uh, the paws from. It, it doesn't clamp the circulation completely off, but it's strong enough to hold the animal in place but if you're using any type of leg hold it's uh, 72 hours uh you have to go back and check and they say that's even a bit long so basically you check often you have to go and you owe it to the animal you, you know like yeah, the animal is stuck out there um either pinned down with pins or whatever like the trap or on a drag so so drags are you, you could connect your uh your trap 
to a kind of like an anchor, and then the, the cow is going to be dragging this anchor. It can't go very far because the anchor is going to catch absolutely everything, and eventually it just, you know, you, you just follow the trail. But if you're using leg holds or non-killing traps, you have to go minimum. Uh, the maximum has to be 72 hours. If you go over that, then you're breaking the law. But if you're using uh, killing traps, then you do basically, I do about maybe like four or five days uh, when it's cold out. That's why right now I just, I don't have time. It's too busy at the shop um, to go. If it was nice and cold out, no problem. I'd, I'd have sets out right now. Um, but uh, right now it's it's just too warm. So these animals don't freeze. And then, uh, so if you're using a killing trap, there's no there's no legal time to go to go do your trap check. But uh, but you have to worry about birds. You have to worry about mice and all these other things uh, chewing on your on your animal too, right? So if you leave them out and they're not they don't freeze. If they're frozen, the the other critters don't touch it. But then after that, if it's uh still soft or whatever, then or not frozen, then then the uh, bald eagles, crows, and all that stuff are gonna go pecking on your animals. So you have to go often. Another thing that happens too, if if they don't freeze fast enough, is the uh, the acids from the stomach will uh, bleed through the uh, stomach liner, and then you have this thing called green belly. Uh, it's it's the one of the worst smells you could ever smell. It's a it's this pungent disgusting whatever i can't even describe it you you when you skin the animal the uh the leather the skin is all green and and it's just this disgusting smell and uh so so if it's not cold enough then you, you end up with a lot of that so you have to go check in quite a bit um if it's not very cold out but uh but basically yeah there's no law like uh, uh to to check the killing traps but you have a vested interest in in doing it too because uh like beavers in the fall time, they get very territorial and everything. So they'll end springtime too, I think too. But uh, but territorial, uh, we had it happen in late fall where we caught this big monster beaver and uh, we we came up to it and uh, there was fat. We could see that there were fat strings coming out of its side and everything. It's like, what is that? And uh, we pulled the beaver out of the water and uh, it turns out another beaver went crazy on it. I guess, uh, you know, it attacked it while it was dead in a trap and, and just punctured the hide like crazy all over the place um so if you you definitely don't want to leave them too long i think that just happened overnight but um but i mean you leave them out too long then you're just allowing things to happen to your pelt basically it will which will knock down the value like crazy another reason i don't like uh, going when it's too warm outside like this is because um if it's warm during the day, cold at night, uh, let's say going to coyotes again. Coyotes is a big prize. That's what most guys are will will go for, anyways. But uh, so the snow gets sticky and everything. So the the coyote dies in the power power snare. It'll actually sink into the snow basically because it's warm and everything. And then when it's minus eight at night or whatever, everything's gonna freeze over. But then you have all this fur stuck in the ice. And uh, so it just makes it a pain in the butt to get that guy out of there. Now you have to dig underneath, and you don't you don't want to rip him out because then you lose all those prized guard hairs. At this time of year, it's it's one of the best times because the fur is is full and and all that stuff. So so you don't want to wreck it. So, anyways, all sorts of little stuff. That's interesting. And earlier in the the podcast too, you were mentioning like you're you're running sets at like the dump and all kinds of places uh you know, a few beaver sets like sounds like you're using trapping as like a, a management tool in a lot of ways here could 
Is that is that how it's playing out here? Is this trapping a, a valuable management tool in your opinion? Uh for sure. Uh, there's uh, there's all sorts of issues right now uh, where we trap uh, for beavers. Uh, the beavers are flooding out a whole area uh, of public land actually uh, uh, south of Saint Malo, and uh, so they're building dams, and the water level is crazy high, and they're carrying on building and. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's good to manage the population somehow. We'll never win though. <laughs> you know, like it's everybody, uh, everybody you could win for temporarily possibly, but then those beavers will always come back. It's a prime area for them. And then they'll always settle back in and everything. It's never, never, we deal with the, the never ending war on beavers and landowners, excuse me, um, all the time at the shop, uh, uh, people who own land in the sandy lands and all that stuff with just a tiny little creek running through it. Yeah. Well, you're going to have beaver problems. Eventually they take care of them for a little while. And then after that, then they, they dam up the, their, the creek and their whole lands underwater. So it's an, and farmers have issues nonstop. It's these guys are pretty destructive. They knock down massive trees, like right here in town in St. Pierre, where I was trapping uh, late fall there, uh, they were knocking down massive poplars on the, on the side, uh, there's a little Jubert Creek that goes through here, and uh, they were knocking knocking down poplars uh, that were I don't know how big around three feet a big around, and the water level was high, and they made it made their way above the 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 whatever the protector uh, stucco wire that they had put, oh, and yeah. then the so now that means that the erosion is going to kick in all, once all that root system on the shoreline is is all destroyed and everything and rots away, then all that shoreline is just going to eventually fall into that in the creek right so so there it's amazing how destructive those guys are so yeah and then management yeah all sort of like the lagoon in town i guess there's not that many people trapping anymore it doesn't really interest that many people i guess but um uh even the city of winnipeg uh was actually looking for for people to trap muskrats uh and all that stuff in the retention ponds because those guys they're nuts. I never realized how destructive those guys were because the lagoon in town, they burrow, they they have bank dens. They, they make their dens under the bank and they, they just burrow, burrow, burrow and then uh, make big hollows, hollow areas under in the bank and then after that they just end up caving in. Um, and then they, they, there's huge holes along the, the, the bank all over the place at the lagoon there and the, if they get out of hand, well, then eventually they just spent, I don't know how many hundreds or millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these things. And then these, these rats are just uh, basically destroying it right now. So, yeah. So it can be used for management for sure. But uh, yeah. So, so the trappers are almost in demand at this point in time here with the, the lack of uh, maybe we're, we've moved away from the fur trade. <laughs> we've had a, a, you know, the, that's how kind of Manitoba was founded, but uh in a lot of ways, yeah. uh, and we don't have that critical mass anymore. If someone was interested in getting into trapping, you mentioned the course, obviously a great resource. Were there other resources out there that you found really helpful to kind of build up that knowledge base? Well, the course is mandatory. Uh, it's either you take the course or you challenge the test. So either way, you have to read up on it. Uh, you have to take the uh, the manual and learn it all. And then you could go challenge the test at a conservation office. Um, you got to phone in advance and make make plans to do that and everything. Uh, but again, the course, if you're if you've never done it before and everything, the course I would say is indispensable just to have those those hands on 
experiences and just to see how it's all done. And it's you're just scratching the surface uh, with the course. But if if it's something you're just starting off and never done it but really want to do it, um, boy, boy, it offers a good way to um, to get your hands on and see how it's done and everything. And then just a mentor maybe, like somebody – I know there's a guy um, uh, that lives – uh, near Grunthal, uh, who really helped me out big time. He, uh, he took me under his wing a little bit, uh, because like I was saying, I was so discouraged after my first coyote. I was like, I don't think I'll be able to do this. You know, like, uh, I was really second guessing my, I was like, I never thought it was going to be this hard. Uh, because you just fleshing is the hard part in my opinion. Uh, cause you don't know if you're doing it enough. Cause you got to scrape all the fat away from, from the hide, uh, because fat, uh, you'll if you leave it on there, uh, it doesn't allow the skin to dry proper, and then you'll have a slippage where where you have fur coming out, and then it's not your your pelt's not going to be worth anything. So the fur preparation after you catch your animal is huge. Whether you're gonna make uh, whether you're gonna get like let's say that hundred and seventy dollar per pelt versus maybe a hundred if you put a bunch of holes in it and you didn't scrape it proper, and then now the the hide's not not prepped proper it's really gonna affect your your what you get get out of it in the end you could have a prized coyote uh, at at the start but if you don't take care of it and do things proper uh, you're gonna and board it properly and all that stuff you're you're just gonna take the value right out of that pelt so so it's important to to learn it proper and everything so yeah, i got a follow-up question from uh tristan's kind of but uh let's just say this is kind of a scenario <laughs> question. Let's just say I went and took my uh, course. I got uh, my trapper's license. <clears throat> I got a piece of property that uh, there's no kids, animals, any like no pets, blah, blah, blah around. Got permission. The guy's having problems with coyotes, and I got $100. You know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy some traps, and I'm going to do a set. What, what would be your advice for me as, say, you're my mentor? And let's just say at the end of the day, whatever I catch, um, I got someone that's going to look after it for me. So just to get get that set, how would you set for a, for for problem coyotes or trying to set coyotes? Um, there's there's two options. Uh, there's trail sets. So you basically kind of stealthily. I wouldn't walk trample all over their their trails and all that stuff. You just from a distance, you could see where their tracks are heading into the bush and all that stuff. But this is just the way I do it. And again, I'm not I'm not Mister Pro Mister doing this my whole life it's only been two years but i'm starting to get the hang of it but uh but anyways the way i approach it uh, they're so sneaky they're they're stupid they're stupid smart those guys that doesn't really make much sense here but they're insanely smart those guys uh so so it doesn't take much their nose they smell absolutely everything so uh basically with 100 bucks you'll be able to buy uh let's say three uh rams they're about 35 bucks each so, uh, and then with one ram, you get one snare with it. Then you need to make yourself some anchor cables, uh, cause you have to anchor that, that ram, uh, to a tree or something solid. And, uh, so you buy your, uh, your three rams. And then basically from a long ways away, in my opinion, like trail sets, it's, it's a less, uh, involved way to trap. You just watch through a thicket of bush or something like that. You watch where the most pounded down trails they'll they'll all intersect maybe at one spot and then go in the bush or something like that then you know they're using that one main trail quite a bit and then then without stepping on their trail you you kind of go in the bush from 
from at a 90 degree intersect that trail find a nice kind of maybe tight spot or something like that where you could really conceal your ram uh well or sometimes around a corner where where they they don't have time to really think or or detect your your set basically they'll they'll be trotting through the bush like they always been doing you know their whole lives they'll be going down their trail not even thinking twice about it they turn the corner and then their heads in the snare basically and then that's that's a good way to set for them you don't give them any uh any indication that you were even there uh, and no nothing to suspect that nothing's been ever deranged in that area but anyway so that's that's a, probably the best way to trail set and then i don't know this this might this is my theory just dance theory i mean might be totally out to lunch on this but and that's maybe the best way to catch uh healthy coyotes if you start baiting coyotes that gets complicated too like you're not allowed to bait with uh with livestock or anything like if you're going to bait with uh, butcher scraps you're not allowed to use feet or heads because all these diseases and stuff like that that they've been having problems with so they don't want these coyotes dragging all these you know uh, diseased livestock parts around and stuff like that so so if you're going to use butcher scraps it's got to be just meat bones and all that stuff but that it's it brings up your workload quite a bit and what happens at uh at bait, uh, baited sets and all that stuff, bait sites, is that uh, the crows and everything show up. So it's awesome to bring the coyotes in, but uh, but then you'll also get the uh, the opportunistic, uh, maybe not so healthy coyotes coming in for a free meal there too. So I've caught some mangy uh, coyotes at, at at a bait site and all that stuff, and I think it's because they they're not doing so good. Uh, they're hungry. They're desperate, and all that stuff. And then, uh, and then you're you're more prone to to attract like the less healthy coyotes. But if uh, if you have uh, trail sets and all that stuff, these coyotes are just running around, um, doing their thing. They're they're chasing down rabbits or mice or whatever the, the is is at their disposal, and they're just that's that's just their healthy thing doing around whatever. And then I don't know that I might be out to lunch on that whatever. But uh, that's just what I've kind of notice it's almost easier doing trail sets you you look at a beaded down coyote trail well you know they go there so don't disturb the area cut across on the at a 90 degree find a nice point where 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 you can conceal that ram and uh set it there anchor it down proper and then uh then come back a few days later like four or five days later and and, and odds are you'll find a coyote in your in, in your set there so it's good yeah it's like uh setting out trail cams in early season whitetail season <laughs> early season whitetail find the trail set up trail cam and then uh four or five days later maybe longer you go and take a look and uh hopefully find that big buck but exactly yeah do you are you practicing any scent control when you're trapping it it's, it seems like that would be important uh scent control uh there's different theories on that some people i've i've come to just using my bare hands leather gloves uh even like i have i haven't found they do smell everything but it's almost like a i don't know if you guys listen to trapping ink uh at all rich rich melon those guys are the gurus those are our mentors basically my boys and i we we sit down and we study, we'll listen every episode, we'll play it over and over again and try to catch every bit of information those guys pass along. They, those guys are the experts. They're awesome so, and fun fun to listen to, great guys. But uh, And uh, like Rich and his wife Sandy, uh, they're, they're just awesome, awesome 
team there and everything. But anyway, so but uh, they you're you're basically sharing like if there's a bait site or whatever, they they basically know you're there. But basically, the, like Rich was saying, you're you're basically sharing that bait site with this pack of coyotes or whatever and all that stuff. They they kind of they know you're there. They but they don't know exactly what you are. But but anyways, so um so I don't I don't know. I it, I just before I used to worry about it, but now now I just go bare hands. I'll I'll set everything bare hands, and uh, as long as you're not using like perfume, you know, and soaps and all that stuff before you head out. Um, basically, I haven't found any issues. Whatever. Some people have different opinions on how to treat the the ram or the sets and all that stuff for scent control. But um, if some people spray paint their 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 power rams just to make them concealable, but there's certain types of paints that you should use, and and that way, and you gotta let them dry for a good long time. Some people say, "Don't worry about it. Just set them the way they are." Because coyotes are used to smell like steel out in the prairies, anyways—barbed wire fences and farming equipment and whatever else. So there's there's all sorts of different schools of thoughts. I dipped mine. Uh, one thing I could tell, one thing I could say for sure is, I thought I was going to be this uh, pioneer in the whole trapping world here. I'm gonna I'm gonna dip my power rams white. I'll say to everybody is don't do that. <laughs> it's it's not a good idea because there's nothing natural in the wild that sticks out of the ground like a white pole or whatever. <laughs> there is nothing. You know, like there's brown stuff, there's beige stuff and all that stuff. I figured the white's just going to blend in with the background and everything. They won't even see it, you know. Uh, but if I could see it, they sure can, eh? So that, that wasn't a good idea. So, uh, so anyways, so that's not a good idea. Uh, probably... Uh, probably like a beige light brown with beige accent kind of paint job you know laying all all down or whatever and kind of make it uh blend in with grasses and and cattails and stuff like that that's that's probably your best bet and let them dry over the summertime leave them outside let them dry 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 and make sure there's no paint smells attached to them anymore that's probably a good way to do it Mm. or just just go rusty and go on that theory that they're used to that smell anyways but yeah yeah and so after sheldon catches this magical coyote that he's going to catch um what what's his next steps there how's he got to prep it for the uh the auction or wherever he's taking it uh well you let it thaw out a lot of people uh, i was amazed at at how long it took because i had a heated floor in well i do have a heated floor in my shop and i figured ah oh, yeah you know like some people say it takes like two and a half days for a coyote to thaw out I thought that was that's bananas, man. Like never, you know. Like my heated floors, that's that thing's gonna thaw out one night. It'll be done. It's crazy. We were talking about how good fur insulates. Oh man, it it even on a heated floor, that coyote will take like for sure two days to to thaw out, so it's loose enough uh, that you could hang it up and you could actually peel the skin off of it. Um, and then uh, yeah, so you really have to plan things out proper. You have to make sure that by the time that coyote or fox or whatever you have thaws out, uh, thaws out, you have to be able to skin it that night too. You don't want to let it on that hot floor for too long. You don't want to. You want to as soon as it's thawed out, you you kind of want to peel that skin off, flesh it, board it all in one shot. So the the less time the fur is just laying around hot and all that stuff, the better it is for sure. So. Cool. Yeah. So, and then you're, you're taking the flesh off it with uh, like a fleshing tool, and then when you board it, you're saying you're you're putting it on one of those like pre-sized boards to stretch it out and make sure it dries yeah. it. 
Yeah, sorry, I didn't finish that that whole skinning thing. Uh, whatever I just started, you let it thaw out, but then after that, you hang it. The way I do it is hang it by by the one of the rear feet. And then uh, on cowboys, it's pretty easy. You just follow where the uh, the white intersects the uh, the brown or the gray on its leg. Uh, you just follow that. But there's also uh, oh, what's that guy called? I think it's Coon Creek Outdoors or something like that. I'm pretty sure on YouTube that guy skins. Man, he's super awesome to learn off of uh but anyways you can see all those resources on youtube how to skin a coyote and that guy's gonna show up right away but uh but anyways it's it's a whole thing like that you have to learn how to do it proper where to cut and everything and and what to do with the the tail and everything you have to split the tail uh once you figure and when you're skinning it um it gets really tricky around the uh the head part of things uh you have to know what you're doing with your ears um where to cut your ears because you're 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 gonna have to peel a cartilage out of the ears so ears are very tricky very uh discouraging when you're when you're doing it the first time especially if you don't have anybody showing you exactly how to do it but uh and then the face uh the eyes you you don't just want to get in there and do do a quick job and all that stuff you want to keep your eyes kind of uh, as as small as possible so if you if you cut at the wrong spot, then you have these big gaping eyes on the board and everything. And then right away, I don't know, it's a it's the signature of whether well, I don't know. I think it is the signature of people just look at that. It's like, oh, look at the big eyes. That guy doesn't know what he's doing. So right away, it's going to cause the fur buyer to investigate maybe a little bit more. Just saying, oh, he didn't do a very good job skinning it. So what else did he need to do right? You know, like how did he flesh it proper, all that stuff, whatever. So um, so if you take your time around the eyes, the ears, do a good job. So everything looks good. Then, your fur, then whoever you're selling your fur to is going to uh, trust that you actually know what you're doing and, and building a relationship with that fur buyer. It's like, yes, that guy knows what he's doing. I've, I'm going to give him, I don't even have to think about giving him less money or whatever. I know this pelt's been taken care of proper. So it's, it's good to learn how to do it proper for those reasons, for sure. And then, um, so, so yeah, so then when you, when you're done, uh, skinning, like, uh, then you throw it on the fleshing beam, um, and what I use for a fleshing beam is a 10-inch plumbing pipe, uh, those big green ones. Uh, it was I used a few, or I, I got my hands on a few offcuts uh, that they were using on a project. It was going in the garbage can, so I, I ended up getting those things, and it's awesome. So basically, all I did was take my fleshing, not my fleshing, but my uh, my boards, my stretchers, and I traced the outline of my stretching board on top of that pipe, cut it out with a jigsaw and then I made myself a little bit of a stand so I could stand it in there. I slide it in place and uh, I could adjust the height so I could, so, so I could get comfortable behind it. You want to be hunched over too much. Or you'll get a sore back from doing it. You want to stand up nice and straight and everything. And then basically uh, the 10 inch pipe gives you a good radius. Uh, the, the knife I use is a Necker 600. There's also a Weeb Elite, which is also a, a good knife. Um, but the uh, the Necker 600 has a, a more aggressive curve in it, and it fits perfect. So when you put the pelt on that 10 inch radius pipe, uh, it fits. It gives you about like two inches where the knife is actually contacting the pelt. You don't want to go too much, or else you'll end up uh, making holes. And same with too small, then then the knife's putting too much pressure at one spot. And then then basically on uh, on coyotes, I use sawdust on the fat. So you throw a bunch of sawdust on it, and and basically you end up pushing. 
the fat off. You're not using the, sh there's a sharp edge and a dull edge. So you end up using the dull edge and, and basically you just start pushing. You just throw sawdust on there and start pushing all this fat off, scraping, pushing, and you, you end up getting your whole system. I do the face first. Um, uh, I'll scrape as much meat as I can off the face and all that. And then I, I just make my way down in the armpits. Uh, I, I position the pelt with the, with the legs in the tip of the, the fleshing beam. So it makes everything nice and flat. And I just start pushing. You have to be very careful, uh, around the armpits and stuff because it's so thin underneath there, especially on fox. Fox, when you're skinning a fox, when you're fleshing a fox, it's like you're dealing with like, like uh, origami paper here. That's how fragile these little pelts are. So you just have to be so careful with them. They, they tear at nothing. So you look at them wrong, they tear. So Yeah, I remember rabbit pelts feeling like that too. Whenever I've skinned a rabbit, it, it felt almost like paper. And uh, is that the reason why a fox pelt isn't worth very much then? Because there's not a lot of like substance to the whatever the le leather would be there. What's the scoop there? I think the main reason why our fox aren't worth anything in Manitoba is like coloration. That's what I was told. Um, the our fox is more like an orange, uh, like a, a pale orange. There's a lot of frosting, so a lot of white fur into the the back and all that stuff. Um, so it's not really as desired as uh, uh, the eastern fox. They say like New Brunswick and 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 the East Coast, the foxes they have or the fox they have down there just have way nicer coloration, like that deep, deep orange, hardly any frosting. Um, so so they're more sought after down there. So our coyotes are way more sought after in the West. Uh, when you make your way down, uh, when you make your way to Saskatchewan, Alberta, even more like the Western coyotes uh, are even worth more. But our coyotes in, in Manitoba are very sought after. Same, same kind of line, like the Western coyote, uh, whatever. So our coyotes are, are better, but... Uh, yeah, I think that's the main reason that that the fox and it's all demand, eh? So um, if you don't have a perfect fox, then the, to make garments and all that stuff out of out of like a a pale, frosty, a half gray fox or whatever is like, man, it's not as attractive as as a nice uh, even coat or whatever. This just again, like I'm speculating as mm -hmm. as, but but that's what I was told. The, the coloration is not the best out here. So interesting. And then so you get that pelt all fleshed out and then it's going on to that, that stretching board. Is that the, the next step? That's right, yeah. Then you have to board it. Um, you have to uh, pin it in place on the board. I use a split board uh, where where you have two halves that you, you split. Uh, you put the pelt on. It's nice and easy to work with because the pelt just goes on it. You, you do it with the, the skin side out initially on the board. Uh, and then you pin it in place. You pin the tail on a tailboard. So you, because the tail, you have to split it or slit the tail, and you have to spread it so it could dry. So you you, you can't leave the tail just unslit, or else it'll just rot. So you have to put the tail on on a on a flat piece of uh, wood, pin it open, and then the legs you have to pin it off to uh, to you know like when, once you do a few, you put you pull a the skin tight on on the fleshing on on the, not on the fleshing on the on the board the stretcher board, and then you pin it in place, and then after that, then you open the board up, and uh, and then that that make and you make sure everything is nice and even. You pin your ears so everything can dry. You you uh, some people put borax underneath the armpits and all that stuff just to help the moisture come out of it. Um, I don't do that. I just basically I just I just let the legs swing out a little. I'll, I'll put a 
piece of cardboard underneath the the legs so that the armpits could dry dry out so it's not like flesh on flesh contact in there so everything has to dry proper then you leave it like that by the time i'm done doing all that it's normally around like 11 o'clock at night or something like that because you know with after you know everybody's put to bed and all that stuff all the boys and everything uh and i'm doing everything else i need to do um then it's at 11 o'clock so i find from around 11 uh till then I, then I'll come in the shop before work. Like I'll get in maybe an hour before work, uh, before I start work. Then I'll unpin it, and then you have to flip. If it's a coyote fox and everything, uh, they have to be flipped uh, over. But you don't want to let them dry too long. You can't leave them on that board flipped upside down for too long because then they get rock hard and you can't flip them now. So I find just an overnighter from 11 o'clock, 11.30 till about 8 in the morning um, is a good amount of time. Where the the it's dry, uh, but still pliable enough so I could flip them inside out. And a lot of people, when it comes to flipping hides, they'll do it from the back because that seems more more natural to do it from the tail end. So the, it's a bigger opening at the back there or whatever with the rear legs and everything. But um, you start with the face, so you tuck the face back in and then you flip the face in from the you, you flip it from the front the face side not the back side because uh, I learned that the hard way I I was like ah, you know what I don't I don't buy this whole face first thing I'm just gonna try it from the back and then I got going and, and about halfway through it got a little tight I didn't think it was that bad I was working it all the way around then suddenly I just felt the, the worst sound or the worst feeling in my life it just went <laughs> and then I look and I had a big old slit all the way down i just i just ripped that whole pelt i had to do uh, sewing and lost a bunch of value on it but uh so that's why i was like nah face first so I'll, I'll stick it to that <laughs> so and again there's a million ways of doing it somebody might be uh might be uh listening to this and say oh whatever that's not how you do it it's like hey everybody's got their way of doing things and if if the other way works perfect but that's just what i found for myself works the best but yeah well, that's good to know. And uh, this this one isn't a trapping question. I'm I'm virtually out of trapping questions here. But uh, I remember last time when I was out there picking up my ammo that you were gearing up to go on a moose hunt. Is that correct? Yeah, you bet. How'd that go? It was awesome. I had the best. I shot two moose up to now. Um, but this year, I didn't shoot a moose. Um, I had my opportunity. Uh, but I'll say it was my most favorite, awesomest moose hunt yet. Uh, because the other two moose that, uh, that I shot, I never had one come in towards me or I never got the chance to experience that. We, we went after them. So we saw, we, we saw them run away and then basically we caught up to them. Like the first moose I shot, it was a cow and a bull. And then we ran after them basically, uh, or tracked them down through the moss and then found them, which was a cool experience too. And eventually we just found this moose hanging his face out of the, out of the bush about 60 yards away from me. And I, I was able to get a shot and then I, I got him. So that was awesome. But, uh, and then last year, this young bull came towards us and, uh, never heard him because, I think young bulls are a little apprehensive of coming into a, any kind of situation because they think they're just going to get the snot kicked out of them by a, a bigger bull that might already be there. So there he snuck in. So, but this year, even though I didn't shoot, uh, this bull on the very last morning we were there, I managed to call him in, and um, and he came in just 
angry. He just the trees were snapping, and the, he was owing away. All I could hear was this guy just ooh, 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 coming in and smash, 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 and and uh, it was it was the best. But by the time I figured out where he was coming from, it was so thick where I was at. Um, my heart was pounding. My I thought my jugular vein was there. It was just going to explode. And uh, I saw him in the corner of my eye, and he stopped uh, about three feet too late and all i could see was was his back and his hindquarters and uh i couldn't see any genitalia because <laughs> he was in the brush i had my my crosshairs on his back because i was like too bad i'm gonna spine him he was about 30 yards away and i had my finger on the trigger and everything and then it it just then i started thinking about it if you can't identify your target you do not squeeze the trigger and i took my finger off I knew it was a bull, but what if it wasn't? You know, it could have very well been two of them. The the, the amount of noise that was going on there, it could have been two moose. Uh, a cow might have made its way forward, uh, and I thought it was. And let's say I shoot a cow. First of all, I'd feel so bad for doing that. Second of all, I I can't do that. You know, it's like, a, you know, you don't identify your target, you don't shoot. And I didn't do it. I knew it was a bull. I could have had it, but I chose to play it safe just in case. And, you know, I never saw his antlers. All I saw was a black dash. And when, by the time I focused on him, all I could see was his back and hindquarters. So, but it was awesome. And then he did it to me again. So uh, I, I got out from behind my tree to see if I could identify him, see antlers through the bush or whatever. And uh, he took off running. I was like, oh, man, there goes my chance. I walked towards him and I started calling again. And here he is again. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Smash, smash, smash. He's starting to run at me again. Oh, my goodness. It's all happening again. My whole jugular <laughs> is going to blow up. And and then he hung up. And and stupid me, at that point, I wasn't even thinking anymore. I couldn't believe what was going on. It was I was so hopped up on excitement there that uh, I didn't even hide. I should have. I learned my lessons and all that stuff. And But it was an amazing, amazing experience. And, uh, yeah. How how was your moose hunt? You guys went out too, right? Did uh, you guys go moose hunt? We were we had a early season elk kind of camp that we had going on, and uh, Chase and Sheldon had quite a few encounters out there. I would say, and they they might have had some of the adrenaline going on that you had. Uh, oh yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, Chase may or may not have forgot to hide a few times, but uh, <laughs> sorry for another day. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time there, Dan. And I just want to say, like, thank you very much for coming on. Um, you know, I think there's still quite a bit of, quite a bit to talk about when it comes to trapping and like, um, you know, maybe we might not have hit some of the, the main reasons, but I think we, we hit on a lot of good, um, like starter tactics to, to trapping and, you know, some of the things to look for and stuff. So, um, but yeah, like, thanks a lot for coming on and hopefully we can have this conversation again and, and talk again about trapping and, you know, so see where you're at in the future. But yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, right on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and just uh, also a big thanks for all the work you do there at Rat River. I uh, I was happy to check the store out and could tell that you're, like I said earlier, you're making an impact in the community there, and it's great to hear that the business is uh, doing well, so keep it up. Yeah, thank you very much. And now we have uh, everybody that's uh, coming to our place uh, in the springtime will know you basically needed a pair of hip waders to make your way to the front door because it was the water wasn't draining away and the mud was pushing up through the gravel. It was a mess, but uh, we we cleaned it all up now. So we actually have a nice, well-drained, 
properly packed limestone capped driveways or, or not driveway but parking lot uh, so so that's a big new feature that we have and and uh, so yeah so things we'll 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 get it together uh with time that place uh, the plans for that little store is that basically you'll have to get in there and start walking sideways in the aisles that's how much stuff we want to have just <laughs> all over and, in, and hanging off the ceiling and and walls everywhere and just pack it full of stuff so awesome we'll get there yeah that's awesome right on thanks so much Dan. yeah, yeah no thanks, Dan. we'll talk Thank again okay sounds good have a good night and that wraps episode 67 with dan mollo from rat rivers outdoors again thanks for listening so much we can't do this without your support so make sure at every opportunity to like subscribe and share that helps us out more than you guys can imagine sheldon what's going on in the store for us right now um, in the store, we've got basically everything stocked up. Um, we've got four brand new hats, which are pretty awesome. They're exactly the same as our signature hats with different decoration kind of idea. So if you like our hats that are the snapback flex fit, which has the logo in the bottom, if you're looking at them, the bottom right corner, our new hats have those logos in the exact same spot, but it's a trucker style mesh back snapback. So it's actually, we took two popular hats and we put them together to make this one hat like these two hats had babies and made this one beautiful little baby but different colors so we can have <laughs> a big selection for everyone so yeah check those out these hats are awesome um all our sweaters are in stock and if you guys are thinking about getting anything for christmas um you got to get that stuff in like asap because as we all know shipping is kind of going crazy right now and it's going to take a little bit more time and if you do ever pick a selection as in free pickup in brandon there is a little bit of a time constraint there as well as we only um, send packages to Brandon uh, usually once every two weeks. So you might have a little bit of delay there, but that is still an option. But if you are looking to buy hats or whatever, we have hats in stock in Brandon uh, with myself, Sheldon. So if you're looking for any type of hat buff or whatever, uh, we have them in Brandon. One thing I want to add is if you're, uh, you know, as ice gets thicker here, guys, I know there's going to be a lot more people entering the, uh, Drilling holes out there and, and dropping wet in the line. So um, if you're looking to get a little bit of gear, we got some tubes in stock and we have some buffs in stock to keep your neck and your face warm. So uh, check those out too. All great advice. And be sure to follow Rad River Outdoors on social media. Check them out online too. They do some great work there. Okay. What do you got in your throat? <sighs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> It was a great episode, boys. I had a lot of fun in the intro as well. So, as we always say at the end of the episodes, keep your stick on the ice. <laughs> <laughs>